Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Tiffany Meyer and here are today's top stories. Former President Trump is in court today. New York Attorney General Letitia James says no one is above the law, as Trump calls it disgraceful. A political showdown as critics of House Speaker Kevin McCarthy threatened to strip him of the gavel. House McCarthy responding under the pressure. The White House vows to send more money to Ukraine, despite Congress freezing any additional aid. What's next as the Pentagon warns it's running low on Ukraine funds? The governor of New York wants to limit who can come across the southern border. Hear why she's changing her tune. AI voice phone scams are big business for criminals, bringing in billions every year. We tell you why it's so easy for scammers and how to protect yourself. And NTD's Chinese beauty pageant has a winner, a human rights advocate. Find out what she and the other contestants have to say about true beauty. Former President Trump calling the New York fraud case against him a disgrace as day one of what's expected to be a months-long trial begins. Trump is accused of filing false financial statements to benefit his business. NTD's legal correspondent has more details. Former President Trump was stopped by a barrage of media as he entered the courthouse on Monday to face a financial fraud trial. The New York Attorney General Letitia James has accused Trump and his sons of repeatedly filing false financial statements to inflate his net worth. This is a continuation of the single greatest witch hunt of all time. Dressed in a blue suit and tie, Trump said the upcoming trial was a scam. We have a rogue judge. We have a racist attorney general who's a horror show who ran on the basis that she was going to get Trump before she even knew anything about me. Monday started day one of a three-month trial. Trump and his adult children are accused of repeatedly inflating property valuations on bank loan and insurance applications. James, a Democrat, is seeking $250 million in penalties and a ban on Trump doing business in New York. Good morning, everyone. Donald Trump and the other defendants have con committed persistent and repeated fraud. My message is simple. No matter how powerful you are, no matter how much money you think you may have, no one is above the law. Judge Arthur Angeron, who is presiding over the trial without a jury, will make the final determination. Last Tuesday, Angeron ruled on a major element of James' suit, deciding that Trump had overvalued his assets and committed fraud. While Trump's legal team appeals that decision, the trial will address six other related claims and determine the amount of damages owed. In a packed courtroom on Tuesday, Trump's attorneys defended his actions as lawful. They stated that banks vetted his financial information before approving it. Outside of the court, they said this is election interference. We just heard Letitia James make comments that nobody is above the law. I think that's quite rich, considering that anybody that's a Democrat, including the Biden family, seems to be above the law every day. The attorney said Trump is leading by 10 points in the polls and that this trial is part of an attempt to stop him from running. If Trump's appeal is unsuccessful, his control over major real estate holdings could be in jeopardy. Arlene Richards, NTD News. 
Trump did score a win in a separate legal battle today. The Supreme Court declined a case that sought to disqualify the former president from running for office. The appeal was brought by John Anthony Castro, a long-shot candidate for the 2024 GOP presidential nomination. Citing the 14th Amendment, Castro sued Trump earlier this year for his alleged role in the January 6th Capitol breach. Castro said he is still pursuing actions in liberal-leaning appeals courts. More trial dates are scheduled for later this month. A politically challenging week for lawmakers in D.C. as a motion to put House Speaker Kevin McCarthy's job on the line could come at any moment. This after Republicans worked with Democrats to avert a government shutdown, though only temporarily. NTD's Melina Weiskup reports from Capitol Hill with more on this political drama. It is going to be difficult for my Republican friends to keep calling President Biden feeble while he continues to take Speaker McCarthy's lunch money in every negotiation. That's Congressman Matt Gates announcing he'll file a motion to vacate the speakership at some point this week. Now, this is at odds with what Gates told me just on Friday, saying that his focus had shifted from this, but that was before that weekend vote when House Speaker Kevin McCarthy did hold that vote to uh, pass a bill to temporarily fund the government for the next few weeks to avert a shutdown. 91 Republicans voted against that, which means it only passed with Democrat support, leading to some unhappy Republicans who are now publicly questioning Speaker McCarthy's leadership. Gates says he has the few Republican votes needed to oust McCarthy, that is, if all Democrats support it. While others aren't 100% on board, they told me they'd keep an open mind. I'm not backtracking or anything, but what I said was it's something that I'd look at. While the majority of the Republican conference are against it. Oh, I'm completely against that, and that's not realistic. It's ridiculous. Well, I, I don't think that's going to happen. McCarthy says he's not worried about losing his job, but didn't rule out making a deal with Democrats in order to keep his gavel, should it come down to that, an idea that some have expressed openness to. I don't worry about that. I, I'm more interested in getting the appropriation bills passed. I think this is a question to the institution itself. If we have to go across the aisle and talk to the Dems, what is so sinful about that? Nothing. But the bottom line is that the controversial issue that led to all of this chaos that is government funding is going to bubble up again in just a few short weeks on November 17th when that government funding runs out again. Reporting from Capitol Hill, Molina Weiskup, NTD News. McCarthy, meanwhile, is calling to punish Congressman Jamal Bowman. This comes after the New York Democrat pulled a fire alarm inside a House office building on Saturday. But what's interesting, if it re really was just an accident, when the Capitol Police came to interview you, why would you lawyer up right away? Yeah. Why, why wouldn't point. you say, oh my gosh, I made a mistake here. Why would you let it go on? The alarm prompted an evacuation just as Democrats were trying to delay the vote on the stopgap spending bill. Bowman is currently under investigation. In a statement, he apologized for his action, but insisted that he activated the alarm by mistake while rushing to cast his vote. Republican Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis has reportedly drafted a resolution to expel him from Congress. Eventually, more Democrats voted for the stopgap bill than Republicans. As part of averting the government shutdown, Congress is also freezing new aid to Ukraine. But the White House says a new aid package is on the way. NTD's Iris Tao has more from the White House. 
And giving in to a key demand by some Republicans, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy dropped any additional aid for Ukraine in the last-minute bill to fund the government. But the White House on Monday said it will soon announce a new aid package for Ukraine. And if Putin thinks he can outlast us, he's wrong. We will have another package of aid for Ukraine soon to signal our continued support. According to the White House, the U.S. has already sent around $80 billion to Ukraine since the war began. And President Biden is urging Congress to negotiate an aid package as soon as possible. Stop playing games. Get this done. But the push to send more money to Ukraine comes amid concerns by the Biden administration itself over corruption in Ukraine. It recently released document by the State Department says Ukraine needs, quote, reforms in the energy sector and a bastion of corruption and oligarchic control. It asks that Ukraine cannot afford to push reforms to a post-war period. And Republican lawmakers remain divided on whether funding Ukraine is the right priority. There is no way that we can abandon Ukraine. I tell you, that's not a mission the American people support. All this as the Pentagon has warned Congress in a new letter that has, quote, exhausted nearly all available security assistance funding for Ukraine. As it's urging Congress to approve more aid, it notes that it's been, quote, forced to slow down the replenishment of our own forces to hedge against an uncertain funding future. Reporting from the White House, Iris Tao, NTD News. Speaking of Ukraine, the country is losing some European support. In Slovakia, a pro-Russian politician won the country's parliamentary elections. Robert Fica pledged during the campaign to end military aid to Ukraine. Let me repeat it. Our stance on Ukraine is precisely formulated. Our positions remain unchanged. When it comes to our statements before the parliamentary elections, I want to remind you that Slovakia has different problems than Ukraine. Fica's new government is likely to join Hungary in opposing the European Union's military aid for Ukraine. Fica also said Slovakia needs to restart border controls with Hungary to stem the flow of illegal immigrants. As for illegal immigration in the U.S., New York's governor says the southern border is too open. Governor Kathy Hochul made the remarks while on CBS yesterday, calling for limits on who can come. Watch. Well, we want them to have a limit on who can come across the border. It is too open right now. Uh, people coming from all over the world. Congress has to put more controls at the border and not in this budget threat, shutdown right. threat. Talk about eliminating positions for border patrol when we actually need to double or quadruple those numbers. Hochul says it seems most immigrants coming to the U.S. end up in New York. However, according to her, the state has reached its limit. She's calling on immigrants to choose a different destination. Some New York Republicans responded to the governor's remarks. They say Democrat policies in the state are the reason many immigrants choose to go there. Coming up, a replacement for late California Senator Dianne Feinstein. Find out why some are criticizing the new appointment. Los Angeles officially adopts a zero-bail policy for misdemeanor crimes. Some offenders can now be immediately released from custody. The Nobel Prize lights up the science world, but not everyone's cheering the Medicine Award this year. Dr. Richard Ammerling tells us why. And a film sounds the alarm on a school subject that's leaving students confused, not about math, but about their gender. That and more when we return on NTD News.
Welcome back. California is getting a new senator to replace late Dianne Feinstein. Some are criticizing the governor's choice, citing her current place of residence and scrutinizing her past roles. California Governor Gavin Newsom has selected LaFonza Butler to fill Dianne Feinstein's Senate seat. Newsom previously pledged to appoint a black woman for the seat if Feinstein couldn't finish her term. He's now making good on that promise. A political commentator for CNN on Monday pointed out that this decision won't make sense to some. Outside of San Francisco, this may not make sense. It seems, you know, like a, a well, it, it may seem like identity politics, you know, sort of uh, taken to an extreme. I mean, he really sort of announced in advance what the criteria would be, and those criteria didn't necessarily make a lot of sense. There's a lot of different ways to do your politics. That wasn't necessarily the, the best way from a governance standpoint. LaFonza Butler is also the president of Emily's List, an organization that helps elect Democratic female candidates who are pro-abortion. The president of Susan B. Anthony, Pro-Life America, commented on that saying, today's Democratic Party stands for abortion anytime, for any reason, with no limits up to birth. The former director of Planned Parenthood, who's now a pro-life advocate, commented on the appointment, calling Emily's List a fundraising machine for pro-abortion political candidates. Others are saying that Butler doesn't actually live in California. This FEC filing appears to show her residence as Silver Spring, Maryland. Another screenshot taken from Butler's page on the Emily's List website states she lives in Maryland. The webpage didn't include that part as of Monday afternoon. Butler on Monday said, I'm honored to accept Governor Gavin Newsom's nomination to be U.S. Senator for a state I have made my home and honored by his trust in me. Diane Feinstein died at her home in Washington, D.C. on Thursday. She was 90 years old. An official cause of death has not been released. Los Angeles County has a new zero bail policy. It has gained controversy for changing how long arrested individuals can be held in custody. Here's NTD's Christina Corona with the details. LA County officially moved to a zero bail policy system Sunday, replacing the years-long practice of setting cash bail amounts based on the alleged crime severity. Supporters say it's a question of fairness, while critics believe it could be more dangerous to society. The new policy eliminates the current cash bail system for all but the most serious of crimes. This marks a significant shift in how the court handles arrested individuals and how long they stay in custody. The zero bail approach will apply to misdemeanors and certain nonviolent felonies. County Sheriff Robert Luna expressed concern over the policy. He said crime victims who see offenders immediately released from custody are left with little confidence in the criminal justice system. And our communities have been not shy about telling us about how nervous they are about this change. It also discourages our deputies and police officers who may have a hard time uh, trying to accept the fact, and, and they have a tough job as it is, uh, to hurrying to respond to a crime in progress only to watch a defendant walk away with a citation while the victim looks on in complete disbelief. 
Most individuals arrested for nonviolent or minor offenses will either receive a citation and be released in the field or booked and released at a police or sheriff's station with orders to appear in court on a specific date for arraignment once they are actually charged with the crime. Arrestees who are believed to be a potential danger to the public or a flight risk will be sent to a magistrate judge. The judge will review the case and determine whether the person should be held in custody pending their arraignment or released under non-financial restrictions such as electronic monitoring. During their court appearance for arraignment, a judge can modify or cancel their release conditions. On Friday, 12 L.A. County cities, including Whittier, filed court papers in L.A. Superior Court, requesting an injunction blocking the zero bail system being put into action, arguing it will harm public safety. It was unclear when that legal challenge will be heard. Christina Corona, NTD News, Whittier. Also in California, the state has repealed its controversial COVID misinformation law. The governor quietly signed the bill over the weekend. The bill in question is known as Healing Arts. Buried in the text is a one-sentence clause that nullifies part of a prior law, often dubbed the COVID misinformation law. Passed last year, that law allowed doctors to be punished for not following government directives on COVID-19 with their patients. It faced multiple lawsuits saying it violated the free speech rights. Repealing the COVID misinformation law was a late addition to the new bill. The main purpose is to set up a new unrelated program for physicians. And as COVID-19 swept the globe, researchers raced to find a solution. Now, two scientists are being recognized for their work on mRNA vaccines. NTD's Jason Perry has the details. On Monday, two scientists, Caitlin Carrico and Dr. Drew Wiseman, received the Nobel Prize in Medicine for their research leading to the Pfizer and Moderna COVID-19 vaccines. Specifically, their research focused on mRNA, which previously caused swelling in the body. Their developments reduced this inflammatory reaction and made mRNA more suitable for vaccines. Carico, a Hungarian national, and Wiseman, an American, are professors at the University of Pennsylvania. They have worked together for over 20 years. Wiseman said it was his lifetime dream to win the award, and it also came much quicker than expected. Usually nine years, I think, is the average after a big finding before they, they, they honor people with the prize. And he said we, the Nobel Foundation wanted to be more current, and, and that's why... Uh, and, and you were probably surprised that, that it was only three years and not nine after the finding. But there are some concerns about the award because Pfizer, which produces the COVID-19 vaccine, donated money to the Swedish Institute that awards the Nobel Prize in medicine. Everything's corrupt now, including the Nobel Prizes. I mean, this is a political move. I spoke with Dr. Richard Emerling, a former president of the Association of American Physicians. And he explained how mRNA, which instructs human cells to make therapeutic proteins, affects some people. And we know that these cells that are hijacked to produce, in the case of the COVID shots, the spike protein, become, if they express that protein on the cell surface, they become recognized by the immune system as being foreign. And those tissues then are attacked. That is by definition, an autoimmune disease. And he added this. I think it's highly experimental. And the idea that they rolled this out to the entire world on such flimsy evidence 
as these ridiculous trials that even at the very beginning showed virtually, virtually no benefit uh, is shocking and I think criminal. The Medicine Award starts this year's Nobel Series, and we can expect five more Nobel Prizes in the next few days. Jason Perry, NTD News. Cornell University is preparing to pay a $3 million settlement over a COVID lockdown. The university charged full tuition while making students attend class remotely. Three students brought a lawsuit in April 2020 after Cornell shut down its campus. Cornell denies all allegations of wrongdoing. The university said on March 5, 2020, that COVID would not impact its day-to-day -day operations. But it stopped holding in-person classes a week later. Cornell also forced students living on campus to leave their residences. The suit argues tuition payers were deprived of their education Cornell advertised. And more on education, a movie screening this week to alert parents about what could be happening to their children in classrooms without their knowledge. We spoke with the founder and president of Moms for America. She says some schools are setting children up to be victims of a billion-dollar industry. Kimberly Fletcher, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. To begin, why is Moms for America hosting a screening of our sister media's documentary, Gender Confusion? Well, we love this film. Um, Epic Times reached out to us and said, we have this film, we'd like to share it with you. And after we saw Gender Transformation, Untold Realities, I said, oh my gosh, everybody in America needs to see this. And so that's why we decided to join forces to host this gender confusion event. It is a live stream event so that families can watch this all over the country. We're highly encouraging you to watch it. And also with your with your teens, um, preteens, sit them down, bring in your neighbors, watch this film. And then right after the film, we're going to have an, an panel with experts in front of a live audience so that you can hear some of the stories of what families are going through and what you can do to protect your children. And what do you hope people will get out of the screening? Well, what I'm hoping is that parents will be empowered and realize what it is that their children are being faced with every day and how they can prepare them for when they go to school. If they have these conversations, if people try to start convincing them that they aren't who they are, um, automatically start transitioning them, that they'll be able to know how to prepare their children and also how to prepare the parents because Child Protective Services has been web weaponized to a degree that I've never seen before. And they're actually going in and trying to take children away from the parents because they're not transitioning their children. The conversation needs to go back to, no, let's protect the children, let's teach real science, and let's not promote political agendas in the classroom or try and harm our children through our cultural platforms. And you mentioned parents there, but who is the target audience for this screening? It is actually parents, but we're encouraging parents to invite their pastors to watch it. Uh, pastors, principals, school board members, teachers, everyone needs to see this film because it is, it is so well done. It is a docudrama, so it has all the components of the documentary with, with complete facts that they can back up. But through the thread through the entire film is the story of one mother and her daughter and how how this affected them in a very dramatic way. And I, I think when people see this, they'll realize that this is really a billion dollar business that's set up to mutilate our children. It's being used as a political thumb 
flipping post to convince our children to follow ideologies that are contrary to even science, let alone, you know, a normal uh, conversation. And then they will start to realize this is not okay. We're, we're going in the wrong direction. We need to come back to the right direction. So yes, parents are the target audience. We're asking them to bring their, their teenagers, their preteens and watch it with them. And then also share it with anyone who has influence over children in our society. And Kimberly, you mentioned going in the right direction. So what is your group doing about this rise in trends ideology, especially in schools? Well, we have created uh, something called gender confusion uh, booklet, which is why we titled the, the event gender confusion, because that's what they're doing is they're confusing our children. So we're um, putting this booklet out there so that parents have the information first of what their children uh, might be faced with, how they're doing this transitioning, using the schools as a platform to do that. We have created a different legislation. We have litigated. We have connected moms who have had their children. Uh, for instance, there was a mom in Maine who found a breast binder in her daughter's room. She took it to the principal. Um, he's, he sided with the counselor, the school counselor who gave this breast binder to her. She then went to the school board to address the issue. And then CPS, Child Protective Services, showed up on her door to investigate her parenthood. So these are the kind of things we, we can help connect these parents with legal entities, a lot of times pro bono, that will help them protect them from, from losing this. As far as legislation, we are fighting against some of these laws. California is not the only one that has crazy laws out there, but there is one specifically in California, um, HB665, which is trying to emancipate children at 12 years old so that they can take the children away from the parents. The children can leave their parents and the protective nature of that. And then they can transition them, put drugs in their bodies, mutilate their bodies. And then these are young kids. I mean, your frontal lobe isn't even developed until between 21 and 25 years old. That's a decision-making capacity of your whole entire body. So it's not it doesn't make any sense whatsoever, and it's not appropriate to push these ideas and these, these questions and ideologies and this confusion in the hearts of children at a young age. So we also promoted um, the FCC standard bill, which is pretty simple. If you can't watch it on TV and you can't air it on the radio, you can't have it in the classroom. So we're working on purging all of these conversations out of the classroom and returning to a quality education where children are learning to read, write, real science, true history, and getting a good quality education. Sounds like a lot of things that would resonate with parents. Well, Kimberly Fletcher, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. When we return, taking a deeper dive into Trump's fraud case with an attorney who tells us what's at stake for the former president. That voice you recognize on the phone might not be your son. AI voice phone scams are big business for criminals, bringing in billions every year. We tell you how to protect yourself. And the iPhone 15 is overheating. What's causing the issue and what's Apple doing to fix it? Find out in a moment here on NTD News. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. House Republicans worked with Democrats to temporarily avert a government shutdown over the weekend. But Congressman Matt Gates said he'll file a motion to vacate Kevin McCarthy's speakership sometime this week. 
California Governor Gavin Newsom plans to appoint LaFonza Butler to fill late Senator Dianne Feinstein's seat. Butler is a Democratic Party political strategist and a former labor union leader. This year's Nobel Prize in Medicine went to two students who pioneered work on mRNA technology, which led to the Pfizer and Moderna COVID-19 vaccines. Day one of former President Trump's business fraud case kicked off in New York. The judge will decide on Trump's penalty after finding him liable for filing false financial statements to benefit his business. And for a deeper look into Trump's fraud case, we spoke with Jesse Benal from the Benal Law Group. Here's what he had to say. Jesse Benal, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Thank you so much. It's always great to be here. Jesse, to begin, the judge has already ruled against the former president, finding him liable for fraud. What is left here for the judge to do, and how do we expect the defense to respond? Yeah, that's a great question. So, of course, the judge did enter summary judgment last week, which is really unfortunate, um, being that you only enter summary judgment when there are no material facts in dispute. And here, the proper valuing of, uh, you know, very famous real estate properties was very much in dispute um, and really just shows that the judge did not understand the facts and the law involved that he even entered summary judgment. Um, and so to, to have a judgment for a trial here, I think, was was very, very unfortunate. I think it will end up being reversed in the long run. As to what needs to be done now at the trial is the judge is going to determine uh, what the proper uh, damages and, and remedies here are. And um, in, a, in a case like this, I, I think the unfortunate thing that we know from this judge is he's not interested in giving any side or giving President Trump a fair shake at all. He's already made up his decision. This at uh, this point is just simply a, a show trial for him. And on that note, the press is allowed into the courtroom. And at some point today, the judge was seen smiling while sitting across from Trump. Some pundits are calling this unprofessional. Is this an angle you see Trump's defense team taking? Well, I mean, they should. It was the most extremely unprofessional thing I've ever seen from a judge to be uh, involved in, in an extremely solemn moment in our judicial system. Now, the judge has ordered that Trump's business certificates for his New York companies be canceled. What's at stake here for Trump if his appeal is unsuccessful? Well, I mean, what they're trying to do is is they're trying to destroy his businesses. Now, I, at the end, they're not going to be able to be successful. I, I firmly believe in that um, because uh, there is there's simply uh, – no better businessman in the world, in in my mind, than Donald Trump, and and he is going to find a way, even through this, uh, all all these problems, he's going to uh, be able to find a way to make it so his businesses continue to succeed. Wow. Well, Jesse Benal, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. That voice calling you may not really be your son. AI voice phone scams are bringing in big bucks for criminals who easily clone the voices of children and trick family members into giving them money. NTD's Emma Shi tells us how to protect ourselves. AI phone scams are on the rise. Last year, criminals stole an estimated $10 billion from Americans through these scams. They're ruthless. They're heartless. Cybersecurity expert John Young specializes in fighting these AI phone scams. He says the scammers generally target grandparents, using the voices of their grandchildren to persuade them that they've been kidnapped, that their car has broken down somewhere, or that they're in jail. 
scammers then ask for money. A lot of them are from um, countries where if they make one score for, say, $1,000 or $2,000, they immediately go into entrepreneur mode and they start hiring other people. Suddenly they can hire 10 people do it. And then they, they have a few more of these successful scores. And before you know it, you have a data center somewhere, a call center with tons of people. Young says many kids have videos on Instagram or TikTok, so the scammers can easily find their voices and put them into AI software. In one scenario, the AI-generated voices frantically tell grandparents they've been kidnapped, and then the voice of the kidnapper will come on and order them to send money to a bank account. Ask a personal question. Is ask, hey, where did we go on vacation last time? Uh, what was your childhood nickname? Um, and and if that is not what you're expecting, that is then this is most likely fraud. AI expert Martin Rand says this is one way to confirm whether that voice is real, if you can get the question in before the supposed kidnapper butts in. Another way is to plan in advance. My favorite thing is to have a security word. So one of the security words we used a few years ago was carrot. So if any of my kids were calling, um, you know, and we felt like there was something off, we would just ask them what their security word. Tech entrepreneur Dan Martell says people should also trust their gut. If the person on the other end doesn't seem real, they probably aren't. Emma Shee, NTD News. Apple's newly released iPhone is hot, possibly in more ways than one. Some users are reporting that iPhone 15 models have an overheating problem. So what's causing the issue and what's Apple doing to fix it? We spoke with NTD Business's Don Ma for more. Don Ma, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, always great to be here, Tiffany. To begin, just how hot are iPhones getting? Yeah, so the iPhone 15s, right? There's been complaints that uh, they're actually getting too hot to handle. Uh, now, in some cases, it could actually get hotter than 100 degrees. Uh, the highest I've seen in some tests, people have actually gotten the iPhone 15 to reach 122 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, some are complaining that simply making a phone call or using popular apps uh, like Instagram will cause the phone to heat up. And actually, enough users have complained that uh, Apple acknowledged the issue. That is wild. Is there any other word on what's causing this overheating? Yeah, you know, there's uh, there's a few theories out there as to why this is. Uh, one of them is that the iPhone now is made out of a new titanium case design. And this design uh, maybe has less mass to absorb the heat. And, and some are also saying that titanium is a poor conductor of heat. So it's making it difficult to get the heat out of the phone. Uh, some are also saying that uh, it could be the new USB-C charging port in the phone um, that's causing this. So Apple's response to all this is that uh, no, the heating trouble isn't related to the titanium case. It says that uh, titanium shells actually result in improved heat dissipation. A Apple also dismissed uh, speculation that the overheating problem uh, might be tied to the USB-C port. So a lot of theories out there. And so it sounds like Apple is acknowledging this, but what are they doing to fix this problem? Yeah, so Apple says that they've identified a few conditions uh, which can actually cause the iPhone to run warmer than expected, including that uh, potentially the device may feel warmer during the first few days after setting up or restoring the device because of increased background activity. And the company also said Saturday that it's 
It is working on an update to the operating system to prevent the devices from becoming uncomfortably hot. Um, and the company is also working with apps that are running in ways causing them to overload the system. Apple said uh, that Instagram is updating its app to prevent it uh, from heating up the device. Other apps uh, are still in the process of rolling out their updates. But you know, the company actually didn't specify a timeline for when its own software operating system fix will be issued. Uh, but you know, of course, Apple expressed confidence uh, that the overheating issue can be fixed uh, quickly with the upcoming software updates uh, because of course it doesn't want the issue to impact their sales. Uh, and, and another thing the company says that the issue is not a safety or uh, injury risk and will not impact the phone's long-term performance. Sounds like we might be seeing some heat protective gloves on the market. Well, Don Ma, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, as always, pleasure to be here, Tiffany. Coming up, Taylor Swift, Blake Lively, and Ryan Reynolds' attendance at MetLife Stadium were some of the biggest highlights yesterday. But how did the actual games go? And Miss NTD 2023 has been crowned. Find out who won the contest, how she displays her inner beauty, and how contestants hope to bring their beauty to the world. Welcome back, and now for your sports news. We're joined by NTD's Dave Martin. Dave, a lot to talk about in sports, starting with the NFL, the Dolphins lost, but the Eagles and Niners are still undefeated. And another Taylor Swift sighting. What stood out to you? <laughs> well, certainly seeing Taylor Swift again did. But on the field, you know, Miami's loss to Buffalo was a little bit surprising to me. Not just that they lost, but how much they lost by. I mean, Buffalo really played well. That was quite a blowout there. And against a team that beat Denver by 50 last week. Also, Joe Burrow and the Bengals getting blown out there now 1-3. I certainly did not see that coming. I didn't know his injured calf was going to affect them that much. Zach Wilson last night looked great against the Chiefs at home, yet the, the Jets still lost. Um, I will grant that his turnover late was costly, but there were also some very, you know, somewhat questionable calls late that cost him as well. And now looking at the college game, number one ranked Georgia was nearly upset by Auburn. Do you think they're as good as their ranking? No, no. I think they've been teetering for a few weeks now. You know, they beat South Carolina at home by only 10 points a couple weeks ago. But when you're the two-time defending champs, voters will overlook that. You know, if I did like a starting like top five, I would probably have, based on just this year, it would probably be Texas, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, then either Washington or Florida State. You know, Georgia's going to get better, but uh, I think they've got a lot of pressure on them right now. You know, they're the two-time champs. They're the rank number one. That 22-game winning streak also, it can take a toll on the players, I think. And now moving to NBA news, there was another big trade yesterday as two-time All-Star Drew Holiday was traded to Boston. Do you think this makes them the favorites to win the title? Well, I think it puts them right back up there with Milwaukee as the favorites in the East anyway. I mean, Milwaukee just went out there and got Damian Lillard. Was this a response to that? Probably. Drew Holiday is a great player. He's a two, only a two-time All-Star, but he's such a good defensive player. I don't think the average fan sees that he has to guard the other team's best offensive player uh, every game. 
Uh, now, what would be very entertaining is if uh, he had to guard um, Lillard in the playoffs if Milwaukee and Boston meet in the conference finals. That would be quite a series. Of course, both would have to get past Miami first. And now shifting gears to baseball, the playoffs start tomorrow. You've actually said predicting the baseball playoffs is more difficult than any other sport. Why is that? Yeah, the starting pitching. You know, a starting pitcher makes such a huge difference in each game. Yet you can't pitch your same starting pitcher every day. I mean, it's like once every five days. Yet they play every day. So you've got to have a deep starting rotation. But of course, then in the playoffs, since with the, all the off days, you only need like three to four pitchers. So that gets kind of negated there. I mean, also, certainly where the ball goes off the bat, nobody knows when it happens. I mean, only maybe the best hitters like Tony Gwynn could have predicted that. But as far as for predicting, I usually go with like past playoff success. So I have Atlanta beating Houston for the title this year. Well, thanks for joining us, Dave. Thank you, Tiff. The first Miss NTD has been crowned after rounds of selection and a search around the globe. Our network discovering that one true beauty, excelling not only in appearance but also inner virtues. NTD's Arlene Richards has late details. At NTD's global Chinese beauty pageant on Saturday night, the big moment that all have been waiting for. The winner of Miss NTD 2023 is... Number 11, Cynthia Sun. Sun brings home a $10,000 cash prize, a set of 18-carat jewelry, and a critical mission. As a human rights and diplomacy researcher, she heard many accounts of women being persecuted for their faith. My goal is to uphold their universal rights through government advocacy and awareness campaigns. Why host a beauty pageant now? The event aims to drive a return to pure beauty, one that's inseparable from inner values. So contestants were judged on both appearance and the five virtues of morality, righteousness, propriety, benevolence, and faithfulness. What I love about this beauty pageant is that NTD focused on traditional women values and Chinese values, which I think is so important. Contestants presented a number of performances from classical Chinese dance, flute, and the arhu, a classical Chinese instrument. Following a demonstration of grace in evening gowns, top finalists shared their understanding of true beauty. I believe that the sincere act of putting others first will allow the goodness that people will recognize as beauty shine forth in a person. Third runner-up, Fiona G, shared what impact she would bring to the world. I am a scholar of languages because I wish to use my skills to share the beauty of true traditional Chinese culture with the hearts of the world's people. Thank you, everyone. Merci, gracias, and vielen Dank. First runner-up Vicky Zhao also won the Best Dancer Award, while the Best in Fitness Award went to Bell Mung, the second runner-up. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. That's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Good night.